Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile Life, the podcast. This is episode 164 called Jess L. All right, guys. So before we get started, I just want to let you know that tickets are on sale now for our fourth Fertility Rally Live event, which is on Saturday, April 23rd from 1 to 6 p.m. Eastern. It's a virtual event, but don't worry if you can't make it live. You have access to all the recordings for 30 days after the event if you have a ticket. So if you don't know, Rally Live is our signature day-long virtual event featuring speakers, tons of giveaways, and real-time chat with other warriors. It's an incredible event. This time around, we have Dr. Ruhi Jelani as our keynote speaker. We have an infertility warriors panel called The Happy Ending We Never Expected, which is all about embryo adoption, surrogacy, and sperm donation. And then we have 10 breakout sessions covering everything from fertility and fitness to sex during infertility to all about diminished ovarian reserve to egg and sperm quality and so much more. We also have an afternoon reset with JC Gossett, who's the founder of The Class, and all ticket holders get an epic swag bag, including a free 30-day trial membership to The Class, which is a really cool virtual workout you can do. So we've got lots of giveaways, like I said. We would love to see you there. It's such an empowering and inspiring day, and we can't wait to rally with you. So check out our Instagram, which is Fertility Rally, or go to fertilityrally.com for more info. And we hope to see you guys there either on the 23rd live or anytime 30 days after. All right, guys. So I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation today with Jess, who I met through Fertility Rally. She is a Fertility Rally member and she is just a wonderful person in so many ways. She's funny. She's cool. She's going to tell us all about today what she and her wife, Anne, have been going through trying to have a baby. So she is still in the midst of her story. She's been through a ton of shit. She's going to tell us all about it. So thank you so much, Jess, for sharing your story. And thank you to Anne as well. Without further ado, this is Jess's infertility story. Oh my God, Jess, I'm so happy to talk to you. I'm so excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this all day, all week, actually. And also since we saw each other at Fertility Rally IRL, we had so much fun spending the day together and stayed out really late that night. And just, it was such an instant bond between all of us. Yes, it was so much fun. It was so fun to finally meet people that I feel like I know such like intimate details about their lives. I know it's and so to be was, able to like hug them and right. You know, yeah. like I've heard so much about your ovaries and here you right. are in person. <laughs> yeah. So I can't wait to have more of those events. And if anybody is listening now, just know that if you join fertility rally, you get to come to all these awesome events and meet people like Jess and like Kate, who was on a couple of weeks ago and just everybody. So that being said, let's start at the beginning with you, Jess. How did you know? how many kids you wanted like growing up? Like, did you always want to have a lot of kids? Um, yes, I think, I mean, as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I have two sisters that are nine and 11 years younger than me. Mm -hmm. So I was in third grade when my first sister was born and she was like my baby. Mm -hmm. I would like, I was like, this is my baby. Like, mom, don't worry. I've got this. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll just take care of her. So I've always loved kids. I've always wanted to be a mom. And I wanted, like, you know, I'm a, in a family of three. So I was like, you know, like five kids. That sounds right. like a good amount. Maybe like five. <laughs> yeah. You know, not not too many, but right. just like five. Yes. And I'm remembering now that your mom and me are not far apart in age. Like, yes. <laughs> um, which is kind of funny. And I feel like a grandma. But um, no, she, she, I always say she is too young to be my mom. Yeah. And she would agree, but she now just wants me to call her my sister. So I'm supposed to introduce her as my sister. I love that. I cannot wait to meet her hopefully eventually. So tell me about what did you know about your fertility growing up? So in high school, I got put on like birth control by my doctor because I had really heavy periods and like really painful periods. 
And they kind of just, you know, did the normal, well, here, you can go on birth control. It'll fix everything. And at some point, I think in college, I had a doctor tell me I probably had PCOS. Mm. And she said she did also. And she kind of said, there's no point in doing testing because it's not an exact thing. And either way, we would probably tell you to be on birth control because I was kind of on birth control, like off and on. Mm-hmm. So at that did point, it help I went, when you went on it? Um, it did. It made my period shorter and probably lighter. I was often on it so much and I did like the pills. And then at one point I did like the depot shot, mm-hmm. which completely took my cycles away. And when it came back after that, it came back completely different, like super short. My period's like two and a half days mm-hmm. and super heavy and still like super crampy back pain, all of those things. Okay. So from a young age, I always had this inkling I would have a problem getting mm-hmm. pregnant, but I had no like real evidence. It was just this like gut feeling. Yeah. That's so interesting. And you're not the first person who said that on the show. You know, I think we have that gut instinct, but you also, you know, your body better than anybody else. Right. So maybe in the back of your mind, subconsciously, you're like, something's going on. So with the PCOS, did they ever like fully diagnose it or do anything to treat it besides Um, putting you on birth control? So it's kind of been this back and forth. Like one doctor would say I had it. And then another, another doctor would say, no, I don't think you do. Um, I had like my hormones tested and my um, like testosterone was high, Mm -hmm. but then years later I had it run again and it was fine. Mm -hmm. So it's been this like up and down until recently when I saw a reproductive immunologist and they said, you definitely have PCOS. Like I have polycystic ovaries. I am again at a point where my hormones are like not where they should be. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just official. How do you feel like day to day? (laughs) Do you feel shitty? I don't feel like I notice it a ton day to day, Yeah, but I don't know if that's just because I'm used to how I feel like this is how I've always felt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for me to, to judge, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Let's fast forward a little bit. Tell me how you met your wife, Anne. We met at a happy hour at uh-huh. a Tex-Mex restaurant through uh-huh. a mutual friend. Perfect. Yep. And was so, it like instant chemistry? Well, her girlfriend at the time showed up. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess instant, no, but that relationship was like ending kind of when we met. Uh huh. I like to say I kind of just like wore her down until she was, (laughs) I was like, I know you like me. It's fine. Um, (laughs) I think there was a little hesitation on her end because like, you know, we have an age gap. So we're just over 10 years apart. Okay. But we just say 10 because she says over 10 is too much. Yeah. Um, you don't need to get all specific. Yeah, right. So um, there was that. And then obviously coming right out of her relationship, like she wasn't looking to jump right into one. Mm-hmm. But we kind of started hanging out and have just continued to hang out every day since. Mm-hmm. So it kind of just happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Okay. So when, we, yeah, when did you know that you wanted to get married? I would say pretty soon after meeting. I think we were both kind of on the same page. Like I knew she was my person. And I think she kind of quickly felt like this relationship was different than her past relationships. Mm -hmm. We met in 2014, got engaged 2015, married 2016. And then did you guys talk about family and having a family, expanding your family? We did. It's kind of this running joke on our first like official date that she told me she never wanted to get married and never wanted kids. Mm -hmm. And so I cried. Because at that point, I already knew we were going to get married and have kids. Right. Well, maybe it's coming <laughs> out of the relationship know. that she was in, right? Like she didn't yeah. know you and yeah, then you and, changed everything. Right. And she had a lot more like internal struggle with like being gay and like how a family would look because it's, you know, you know, in a same sex relationship, you know, right away, you're going to need help, mm-hmm. like reproductive assistance. Right. So I was also this younger, I didn't have all those like preconceived things in my head. And I was just like, well, if I want a family, I'm going to have a family. Like, I'll just make it happen. Yeah. Were Um, you always pretty comfortable in that way? Or did you ever kind of struggle with it? I think I was. So I wasn't really like out or anything before I met her. I had kind of dated this other girl, like sort of. And then I met Anne and it was kind of just like, oh, this is my person. She happens to be a woman. Like that's not, it wasn't anything on my list of things my person needed. Like be a man, have a penis was never on there. (laughs) That wasn't at the top of your list. (laughs) It wasn't. It was, you know, kind and compassionate and loyal and caring. And Anne is all of those things. Yes. 
So it kind of just so happened that she was a woman and that was just that. And it was never this big deal for me. Okay. That's so So, interesting. I think that more and more, and I hope, because I feel that I'm on your same wavelength where it's like, love is, is love, you know? So I I hope that more people are going into relationships feeling that way. Like my person could be, you know, as long as this person has these qualities, like, what does it matter that, you know, the gender or whatever. Right. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So when did you, okay. So you guys got married. Tell me about the wedding. It was amazing. It was, so I'm from the area where we live and Anne is not. Uh So she has no family here. Her like friends from college, her best friends are kind of all spread out. So everybody came into Houston Uh and we just had a big, huge party Uh and it was so much fun. We joke about all of our friends. You know, we had a few friends who would overserve and had to get taken home. Uh huh. And then we all went out to like a local gay bar. We okay. Have this, like neighborhood in Houston. That's all the gay bars. So we went like, I went in my full wedding dress. I was going to say, were you still in your wedding gown? I was. That's amazing. It was, it was really fun. So okay. yeah, it was, so just, when you... it was probably the only time we had all of our people. And yeah. Place. So when you guys talked about like family building, did you talk about the logistics of how it was going to go down? Yeah. So we, obviously I knew I always wanted to carry a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That was something that I've just, I think there's probably part of me that wanted to be, to carry a pregnancy and experience that more than what comes after, like the actual raising of children, Mm -hmm. being pregnant was just like this thing I've always wanted. And Anne was never really interested in that aspect an Mm -hmm. actual like carrying a pregnancy plus our age difference. By the time we actually got started trying to have kids, Uh she was already in her mid thirties. So it was kind of like, well, I've always wanted it and she wasn't interested. So it kind of just very easily fell on to me. So then what did you guys, did you immediately start to see an RE or REI? Yeah. So back in the fall of 2017, we saw an RE for the first time And you know, they were like, this is going to be really easy. You just seem to ovulate normally. Like, we'll just do an IUI. Mm -hmm. And I think I did like letrozole. Mm -hmm. But what happened was, is they didn't monitor me very closely. And I came in for them to check my follicles and we had missed my ovulation. Mm. So it just happened to be that the month after that, um, there was this huge hurricane in Houston, Hurricane Harvey, and it destroyed the place where Anne was working. She works at, on golf courses. Mm-hmm. And so we actually ended up moving to Buffalo, New York. Like she okay. was transferring within her company to a new course. And so it kind of put everything on pause and we didn't pick things back up until December of 2019. Okay. So how was it during that break? Were you guys, were you getting antsy or were you like, um, let's get uh, a yeah. move on here? I think it was kind of like this off and on thing, but when we moved, I didn't work the first year. We moved to New York in the middle of winter, first of all, and I was terrified of driving in the snow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I didn't work the first like nine or 10 months we lived there. And then I got a job and then we were kind of just waiting because New York has different fertility mandates, like insurance wise than Texas, where Texas doesn't really cover anything. Okay. So we were kind of waiting for me to get an official New York job that would help with coverage. So once that happened, like I said, in December of 2019, we met, we ended up meeting with two clinics there and kind of picked the one we liked. Mm -hmm. And then 2020, we started with IUIs. We did eight cycles total in 2020. Yeah. Was it just back to back to back? It was kind of back to back, but like after my very, so the first one was in January, I did oral meds. And then I got a cyst. So they put me on Lupron for two weeks. Mm -hmm. So then we had to wait. And then we did March, April, May. We did IUIs. Okay. Um, Wait, one big factor that we didn't discuss is sperm. Yes. Can we talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So we're, what, tell me about that, that, Um, that piece of the puzzle. Yeah. So we did an anonymous donor from a sperm bank. Mm Mm-hmm. We kind of went back and forth about, you know, the known versus anonymous back and forth. Yeah. Um, what were, I'd love to hear your thoughts on one versus the other. Yeah. So it's one of those things where there's not really like a right or a wrong answer. It's right. just what, what fits your family. Yep. And Anne does not know her biological father. Mm-hmm. She has her stepdad that adopted her when she was young, when her parent, when her mom remarried, and that has been her dad. 
you know, she's always known right. he wasn't her biological dad. But yeah. That was just her dad growing up. And then I have, I know who my bio, biological dad is. He's not super involved in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I had my mom remarried when I was young to the father of my sisters. Mm-hmm. And he was just, I mean, he was my stepdad, but it was this off and on relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so neither one of us come from these families of like super strong fatherly mm-hmm. figures. And we just kind of thought like with the anonymous, there's still the option with our sperm bank to contact the sperm bank and they can reach out to the donor and see if they are open to communication once the child is 18. Mm-hmm. So we kind of thought, you know, this isn't their dad. This isn't a parent, you know, this is donor. So we kind of thought the option is still there if they really want to pursue it. But there's also that fear, obviously, when you're using donor that your kid's going to look at, like seek out that relationship as a parent, like Mm -hmm. a parental relationship. Right. So yeah, so we opted for anonymous um, sperm donor. We considered doing a known donor because we had a few men in our life that we felt like would be good. Right. But the risk of ruining a possible friendship Mm -hmm. was just too high of a risk for us. Yeah. So we we went the donor route, the anonymous okay. donor route. And then did you have to buy like a whole bunch at once? Like, did you just stick with that one donor yeah, or did you so go through we, a couple different ones? We had one donor. I know you recently had somebody talking about a donor sort shortage. Yes. The great sperm that. shortage of 2020. Apparently. I had no idea that was a thing. And I yeah. think all of our samples. So we used the same donor until like spoiler, we went to IVF. But I think all his samples were frozen in like 2014. Like they were older. So yeah, we would buy one to two vials at a time because Uh it's like a thousand dollars a pop. Yeah. So really that's all we could swing was doing one to two vials at a time. I think they give you a deal if you buy like eight or 10. And I was like, I can't afford that. Yeah. (laughs) Like it's like buying a car. Yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we would do one to two vials at a time. They would ship it to our clinic and then they would just hold on to it until we used it. But we did all this time. We had frozen sperm sitting in Houston from that very first IUI Okay. Um, where they missed it. So it was just sitting in Houston and I looked at having it shipped to New York and it was going to cost more than buying a new vial from the, the sperm. Wild. Bank. Yeah. It's so wild. Yeah. It's, and the prices just go up year over year. Like right, every year right, I get right. a letter about their prices increasing and their shipping increases. Yes. All right. So you're going through IUI after IUI. And what was going on with you guys, like relationship-wise? Like, how was it going? Um, it was good. I mean, I think a lot of women can experience it kind of just all falls to the person doing the treatment, mm-hmm. especially because we were two women, you know, we and didn't have to give anything. Mm-hmm. She wasn't a partner that was like giving their own specimen or anything. So, I mean, she came to as many appointments with me as she could. There was a short time at my clinic where partners couldn't come, mm-hmm. but it was very, very short. And we actually did not experience any delays, luckily, with COVID mm-hmm. because I was in the middle of a cycle when they shut down and they shut down new cycles. They didn't shut down current cycles. Okay. Got it. And And that was actually um, a cycle where I had a chemical pregnancy. And so by the time we got all of that resolved, I had to do like methotrexate. Mm. They were back open and in full swing by the time it was, we were ready for another cycle. So we didn't have any delays. Okay. So can we get into that a little bit? You don't have to, if Mm -hmm. you don't want to, but the chemical. Yeah. I never had an emotional attachment because my HCG was so low. I never got a positive pregnancy test at home. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go in for your beta and they called me and I think my HCG was like a five. Mm, mm-hmm. And so they were like, it's not viable, but it's technically not negative. So mm-hmm. we need to track it down to zero. And it didn't just go down. It bounced around. It would go up a point, down two points, up a point and a half. So we ended up doing the methotrexate just uh-huh. because at that point it was considered like a pregnancy of unknown location. Right. Okay. And so they wanted to just get it handled. So yeah. I got, how did you do on the methotrexate? I was really sore. Cause I had to get like two shots at once in my butt. So okay. I had two nurses uh-huh. um, and that was my first experience with a shot in my butt. So uh-huh. that was fun. That's a good time. Yeah. Um, I think it made me pretty tired and I was pretty sore, but other than that, I mean, it worked 
really, really quickly, I didn't have to do a second dose or anything. Okay. That's good. Yeah. It was, I would say overall, it was pretty easy. And I think it also helped that I didn't have that emotional connection. Like I didn't see a test and and plan for this baby that was coming because I didn't really. And I think also at that point I was still so new. I really didn't fully know what a chemical pregnancy was. Yeah. So it's kind of been more in the last year. I've kind of looked at it a little more like a loss. Right. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. It's, it's, I was talking to somebody else the other day and, um, you were, you might've been on this group call with fertility rally, but they were talking about, you know, the, their, their numbers started out pretty low, but not, it was like higher than a five. So it took a while to go down and it was like several weeks, you know, and you can't really do anything till it's back down to zero. And they were saying like waiting to be unpregnant is like torture. Like it's like a unique form of torture. And I was like, it is so so terrible that, you know, so many, so many of us have to go through something like that. So, you know, I can relate to your, your number. And if anybody's going through that right now, that's listening, I'm so sorry. It's so rough. Cause you're like in this limbo period and it's like, yeah, just this shitty situation. Nothing good is going to happen at the end, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like, you're so ready for that next step, but you're also like typically mourning what should have been right. Exactly. And yeah. Waiting to be unpregnant. It's, it's, I mean, waiting and all of this is terrible, but that's a very, it is a very unique, special, terrible. Exactly. Okay. So what happened next with you guys? Um, So after that, we did another IUI. It failed. Mm. And I think that was then IUI four Mm -hmm. or five. So then we had a call with our doctor. You know, we did the call, the, does it make sense to keep going? Do we need to look at IVF or something? Oh, and I didn't say at this point I had... I was doing IUIs with Minipure and Gonalaf. Okay. I was doing injections. Yep. My insurance, I also had insurance that covered IUIs that did not cover IVF. Okay. So this was like a very affordable outside. Like we really, the biggest cost was the sperm. Right. Got so it. This was like, my meds were covered. I just had co-pays. Uh-huh. My doctor said, I think you should keep going because in my case, they kept saying it was a lack of exposure to sperm because we were two women. Like we didn't have, there was no chance of getting pregnant at home. Right. Right. And they just, they were like, at this point, we don't see any reason why you wouldn't get pregnant. Okay. So we had kind of capped it in our brains at, we're going to do six IUIs. Uh If, if if after that, if we haven't gotten pregnant, we're going to move on. Okay. So we did one IUI after the chemical, it failed. We did another, and this time we did a double IUI. So we did it two days back to back. Ooh. And we did an HCG wash for the first time. Okay. Tell us what that means. So the day before my IUI, they mix up the HCG, like the trigger shot, and Mm -hmm. they wash it into your uterus. It's actually very similar to getting an IUI. It's very quick. You don't I didn't feel anything. Mm -hmm. And I guess from my understanding, it's supposed to kind of make your uterus a little more sticky and like encourage a fertilized egg to implant. So interesting. Yeah. I had never even heard of it until when, when we did that call of, is there anything we can do if we're not going to move on at this point, they suggested that. And we were like, sure. Good to know. So is that something people can ask for if they're like in the IUI circuit? Okay. What they had me do is I triggered with, instead of like the whole 10,000 IU or whatever, they used like a small amount for the wash. It wasn't even half. And then I triggered with the rest and I still ovulated fine. Uh So I guess that is my clinic also does it for FETs. Okay. So So are you happy with your clinic overall? I love my clinic. Okay. That's Um, good. Can I say my clinic's name? Sure. Yeah. If you want Um, to. So I'm at CNY and I'm Uh at the one in Buffalo and I know, I feel like CNY kind of has like, I feel like a lot of people like love it or hate it. Okay. And I've had, I've gone to other clinics and they've kind of been unsure. CNY is very affordable cash wise. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what they're known for. Mm -hmm. I ended up there just because I was local, but I mean, I loved it enough that now I live in Texas and I fly back to New York. Right. I feel like the staff there is very invested in us and having success. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a very important connection to have when you're at a clinic. Yes, totally. Yeah. Okay. So I love them. Yeah. Um, All right. So keep going with your story. Yeah. So we did our double IUI. We got pregnant, like officially pregnant, like real pregnant. Okay. I, they did, I think they did my betas every two or three days up until they do a very early like five week ultrasound just to make sure that 
the pregnancy is in the correct space. Mm-hmm. And it was. And so then they do a weekly ultrasound. So we went in it. I think I was six weeks in a few days and mm-hmm. we got to hear the heartbeat and it wow. was very exciting. How did you feel when you got all out that good news? Um, it was amazing. I was just like, I can't believe it's finally here. Like yeah. this was our last, like, this was our last IUI. Yeah. This was the last one we were going to do before moving on to more expensive invasive things. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we were thrilled. We called, we told my family, we told my mom and my sisters after we saw the heartbeat because my family all knew what we were doing. Uh-huh. Um, it was never a secret. I don't think I could have gone through it without support. Right. So we told all of them, everyone was very excited. And this was going to be like the first grandbaby, mm-hmm. you know, all the things. And then we went back the next week at seven weeks and a few days and there was no heartbeat. <sighs> so sorry. And that was a gut punch. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. That's like the most nightmarish moment for so many people to hear those words, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it was actually, our doctor was doing our ultrasound that day. And I mean, we were completely oblivious. We didn't accept it was a little, it was taking her a little longer. Uh And then I think Anne realized it first. Uh I think I was just like in this law land. Yeah. Like nothing bad would happen. Yeah. And she said those words, I'm sorry, I can't find a heartbeat. And we just crumbled. Yep. Crumbled. That's such a good description for it. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, right after that, because of COVID, um, at that point, they wanted, they, or they didn't want, they highly suggested a DNC to test um, the products of conception because Mm -hmm. at that point, she kind of said, you know, you, it has been a little tough to get you pregnant. Mm Mm-hmm. So she was like, I would like to know if this is a chromosomal issue or if it's not, we can do testing on you. Mm-hmm. My clinic believes one miscarriage is one too many mm. and they will run recurrent pregnancy loss after one like confirmed normal. I guess if the fetus is normal, they will run recurrent pregnancy loss. Okay. Testing. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So we, we opted for the DNC, which of course meant they had to give me a COVID test, uh-huh. right? As I'm like bawling the nurse came in to do it and then she had to leave us because I couldn't stop crying long enough for her to do it. So we went like that next week, had a DNC and then they track your HCG down to zero. Mm -hmm. And I actually had to drive to a different, I didn't have an OBGYN in Buffalo and that clinic was not doing like surgical procedures Mm -hmm. at that location. So I had to drive over to Syracuse, Mm -hmm. which I think was like two hours and we spent the night. We did that. And then they were tracking my HCG and it wasn't dropping. Yeah. And they weren't sure why. So they did an ultrasound. The surgeon had missed or the doctor had missed everything. Oh my God. So here we are. Meaning what? Everything. The the sac, Uh the baby, everything. Uh You could see it all on the ultrasounds. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. And we had just gotten a letter from the lab saying they couldn't, they could only find my DNA in the tissue that was sent. And -hmm. we were like, well, great. They, you know, they missed, they didn't get it. So now we're not gonna be able to do this testing. Well, it turns out they didn't get it because it was all still in me. Oh my God. So I had to have a second DNC. Mm. And so then that just happened to be, we were going on vacation to Lake Placid. Uh (laughs) So on our way, you know, we just stopped by the clinic and had a DNC on our way to vacation. So this is like fall of 2020. Yeah. This okay. is October at this point. Yeah. Okay. So we did that. They told me they were going to get all, they confirmed it via ultrasound. Like after he did it, the doctor was very apologetic. You know, they said these things can happen and I knew there was a chance they wouldn't get it all in the first one, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize like they could completely miss. Yes. I haven't heard of that happening before. I'm I, so I sorry either, it happened to you. Yeah. And I haven't heard of it happening to anyone else. Yeah. And if they hadn't, I feel like they handled it very well. They're very apologetic. My doctor at my location, I mean, I could tell she was embarrassed and so upset for us. Yeah. Um, I think she probably called them and gave them an earful yeah. on our behalf beforehand. So. But he was very apologetic. He said he wanted to to redo my procedure like himself and make sure it was taken care of. They covered like all the anesthesia. Like I didn't have to pay for both procedures, mm-hmm. which I don't, I mean, I would have fought it, but they just, they offered it. Yeah. You know, it was just like, we are so sorry. That's good. 
so yeah, we did that. We went on a vacation. We came back. We tracked my HCG. It went down. And at that point, after three years in Buffalo, we decided to move home. Okay. Part of yeah. it was COVID and we didn't, we never made like a core group of friends in Buffalo. Uh huh. It was, it was really hard for us to, I mean, making friends as an adult is hard. It is hard. <laughs> unless so you're hard. at a fertility rally event. <laughs> yes. Unless you find a fertility rally. And I'm so sad that nobody's like, there's not very many people local to me. Yeah. But yeah, it was really hard. And at this point, so when I first got pregnant, I somehow, that's when I found Blair on okay. Instagram. Uh-huh. And it was like, we were pregnant at the same time. Okay. So my due date and her due date with Hadley were right around the same time. Oh, right. Okay. And I don't okay. know how I stumbled across her. She must've been on like my explore page, Uh huh. but that was my end to uh-huh. this like wonderful group. So we moved home. I needed my mom and my yeah. family. You know, we didn't have a lot of support. So uh-huh. we just, we came home and then in December. So we moved home in November and in December, we went back to like the previous clinic, the very first clinic we went to here in Houston, where our frozen sperm had been sitting for three years. Okay. And we did an IUI and it failed. <laughs> okay. And they had kind of, they looked at all my records. They said, I think your, your clinic in New York was being too aggressive. We don't think you need all these things. Mm. We did an IUI with Clomid. Uh-huh. And they said, you don't need further testing. You know, sometimes when you do too much, it could keep your body from getting pregnant. And so right. that failed. And I didn't get like the best vibe. And I think it's because they didn't want to do testing. Uh-huh. And and we had said like, we're going to do this IUI because we have this sperm. And if it doesn't work, we're going to move to IVF. But uh-huh. we weren't, at that point, we were going to move on to IVF with a local clinic here in Houston. Got it. Okay. And so we did that consultation. We got the pricing. Mm-hmm. And once I regained consciousness from fainting, from all of the money <laughs> Was it crazy? Want, it was, I mean, IVF is expensive. Like we all know that, right? Right. But seeing it written on paper. Yeah. For this chance to get pregnant. Right. It's not a guarantee. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, and then it also, I just, it didn't sit with me well that they wouldn't do testing. Because mm-hmm. at that point I wanted to do anything and everything to prevent another miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to do all the tests on me, do all the tests on our embryos. Like, so I called my clinic in Buffalo. <clears throat> And I don't, I don't think I said this when we did our DNC, we found out it was a girl and it was a normal Ugh, baby. So sorry. So yeah, the guilt that comes along with that of knowing like somehow your body is killing your baby right, is something I don't think I expected. Mm-hmm. I knew there would be like a grieving and a sadness, but I don't think I expected that guilt. Mm-hmm. So anyways, we, we called our clinic in Buffalo. They immediately sent me orders for RPL panel that I could mm-hmm. do here and then have the results sent. And at that point, we crunched some numbers a bit and decided to travel for IVF. Okay. It was less money, including like rental cars, flights. Right. Dang, having a place to stay than it would have been to do it locally. Yeah. So coming back up to New York. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So at that point, it was early 2021. We did the RPL panel. Uh-huh. Um, a few things came back, but like nothing big. Like I have the MTHFR mutation. Uh-huh. And my natural killer cells were higher than normal. And I think that was it. Uh-huh. So we did an egg retrieval in March. Okay. So this and is I, now 2021. 2021. But yeah, we did our egg retrieval. And because we traveled, we opted for, I flew to Buffalo to do all of my monitoring. Mm -hmm. I know some people will like monitor and then fly like when they trigger. Mm -hmm. But our amazing friend and the woman who had been our landlord offered me her apartment. She was like, she, cause we did a a t-shirt fundraiser and she was like, Hey, I never got a a chance to buy a shirt. Like I would love for you to come stay at my place. Like, cause she knew it would be two or three weeks. Yep. So she was so sweet. She gave me the whole place to myself. She went and like stayed with her boyfriend for a few weeks. Oh, that's so awesome. It was really sweet of her. Uh-huh. Um, and so I did that. I was there, I think just over, I stemmed for 13 days. Okay. Which felt like forever. Yeah. At that point, a, I was a... like, I hadn't seen anybody stem that long. And I was mm-hmm. like, is this, is this never going to happen? Right. <laughs> You're like, this is, is this the rest normal? of my life? Right. Yeah. And I did it by myself and we finally triggered. And when I triggered is when Anne flew in uh-huh. because she just, I mean, she can't just leave work for, you know, two weeks. And my company is actually in Buffalo. 
Okay. And I had been working remote, so I got to like see them. Uh huh. And so we did our egg retrieval, which we also had to go to Syracuse for. I wrote down my stats so okay. I would remember. Yep. We got 10 eggs, uh-huh. which when I woke up and they told me that I got 10 eggs, I cried because I think we'd been counting like 13 or 14 on ultrasound uh-huh. of just follicles. And I was like, well, if we didn't even get all the follicles we saw. Yeah. So, so cried yeah. from disappointment. I cried from disappointment so much so that the nurse was like hugging me and bringing me tissue and was like warned and like, we're a little emotional. Yeah. Because I knew, I knew the rates at which things dropped. Uh-huh. You know, cause that's, that's what you have in your head, you know, like we need to get so many right. to end up with exactly a, a few normal embryos. And how did you know all of this? Were you like on Instagram and looking at people following people's yeah. stories or doing a yeah, ton of research? So I, followed, or like... I followed a lot of people on Instagram mm-hmm. and I think I Googled like yeah. IVF attrition rates okay. or whatever it is. And it gave me this like formula, like. 80% drop. Right. Right. And 20% so do the math. And then you're like, shit. Yeah. So I think the math at 10 eggs being just collected, mm-hmm. it was like one or two embryos. Mm-hmm. And I don't even think that was normal. That was just like, you might end up with one or two blasts. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we got 10 eggs, six were mature, mm-hmm. five fertilized, and we did ICSI. Mm-hmm. So we ended up with four blasts that went to testing and of those four, three were normal and we have one mosaic. Okay. So that's so good I, starting with yeah. 10 though. Yeah. So our, our numbers looked pretty good, but I was, I mean, I was nervous up until we got the call Yeah. because I figured, I mean, yes, I'm young, but I figured we would have a couple of abnormal. Uh-huh. So the fact that we didn't was insane. I mean, I couldn't believe all four of them or three were normal. And then our mosaic is a high level mosaic. Okay. But it doesn't seem to be like, it's not connected to any like major birth defects. Mm-hmm. So I think someday we will try to transfer it. Yeah. Maybe along one of our normals. Right. Okay. But I think we're, Anne and I have discussed it and we want to give like all of them a chance. Yes. Okay. So, so you must have felt a little encouragement with that news. I did. At least. I did. Okay. Except then I didn't know that they say like two to three normals for one live birth. Yeah. And at this point I'm thinking, oh, with, with three normals, like we could have two kids, you know? And at this point I'm like, you know, the, the dream of five kids is gone. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny how it's, it's long the gone. bar changes so much as you go throughout this yeah. journey? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Anne was like two kids is cool. And I think we had finally agreed on like three-ish before we ever started treatment, like three, two to three kids. Mm-hmm. Now we're like, can we get one kid? Right. Can we just get one? Exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So um, we went straight into an FET cycle in April and I was back in Houston. So I did local monitoring Uh and that got canceled because the doctor here, he didn't like what my lining looked like. Oh God. Um, Frustrating. Yeah. So we canceled that one. Mm -hmm. We did a second and I, he did a um, saline. Cause he thought he saw something in my lining and we did a saline sonogram and okay. it, it was, it was nothing like there okay. was nothing there. Uh-huh. So we started then for our second FET. He again, didn't like my lining, but at that point I was like, you know what? I don't know if I fully trust your judgment Yeah, because all of the reports he was like, he would, I would go in, he would do the ultrasound and they would send a report to my clinic. And never, uh-huh. he would verbally tell me he didn't like my lining, but on his reporting, he would never mention it to my clinic. Hmm. So he would tell me it didn't look good, but he would tell them it was essentially fine. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, this is an OBGYN office. It's not a fertility clinic. Right. So I was like, maybe he's not like fully sure what he's looking at or looking for because he's not typically doing this. Uh-huh. Um, so we went forward with our FET. I flew into Buffalo a little early so they could get like a look at my lining uh-huh. um, before we did the transfer. And they, I mean, at that point I had started PIO. So they were like, well, it's going to look a little different. Right. I guess once you start PIO, it, your lining like compresses. It's uh-huh. not like that three layers, uh-huh. but they said everything looks good. So we, we did, um, we did another HCG wash and we did interlipids. Okay. To help with my natural killer cells. Right. So that's for the immune system. Okay. Yeah. It's supposed to like help suppress things. And I guess it helps neutralize your 
natural killer cells. Mm-hmm. I don't really know a ton about it mm-hmm. other than what I've read on Google, which I guess is who knows if that's all correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in late May of 2021, we did our first FET and we got pregnant again. Uh-huh. And it was both exciting and terrifying. Yes. All at the same time. Yeah. Um, and was that around the same time that your first baby would have been due then? Because Yes. So that okay. was like... So that must have been tough as yeah, well. Yeah, it was like two or three weeks after my due date. Mm-hmm. And so that was like a really, it was hard, Mm -hmm. but I think the fact that we were so close to like, that we were actively taking steps to try again, I think I felt a little better Yeah, that we weren't just like, still just like waiting. Uh So we did that. We got pregnant. We saw the heartbeat same as before. Six weeks, we saw the heartbeat, seven weeks, we went in and the heartbeat was gone. Oh my God, Jess. Yeah. Come on. So there we were again. And I had had like some fears going in. I was like, this is the ultrasound. Like, this is where it all went bad. I had told my family, like, I'm really nervous, you know, but everybody was like, once you have a miscarriage, the chance of it happening again is so low, unless you're in that small percentage, which I luckily get to be in. Right. That it does happen again. Right. So many of us are on that wrong side of the statistics where they're like, oh, there's a slim chance, but we're the ones. That's where we all are. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So that was devastating again. And that time we knew before the ultrasound tech ever said it, mm-hmm. like we, at that point, I feel like we got to where we've, we kind of knew what we were looking at. And this doctor's office had like the big screen that, so when you're laying down the screens in front of you. Right, right, right. So I was like, it's not like we had seen it. We hadn't heard the heartbeat the week before we saw it uh-huh. okay. and it was so clearly flickering uh-huh. and it wasn't at that point. So sorry. So how did you grieve that loss? We, so once we confirmed, I think they had us come in a few days later for another ultrasound to confirm. Cause my clinic was just like, we want to make sure because we're not monitoring you. We planned a last minute trip to San Antonio, which is like a few hours from here in June. It was June by that point, And that was kind of like our dating anniversary month. So yeah, we planned a trip. And I had some drinks Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, because I could. Mm -hmm. And then we went back. Oh, at this point, we were waiting for my body to like naturally pass everything Uh because we didn't need to to do any testing because we knew our embryo was normal. Uh We were kind of just waiting for my body to kick in. So we went on our trip and I think at that point it had been like a week since we confirmed and nothing had happened. Uh So they had me come back in. They did another ultrasound and it actually looked like things grew. Uh So when they sent that to my clinic, my clinic put me back on all my meds. Oh my God. Like I had to do pyo again. I had to start taking my estrogen, like everything. So were they thinking it it was going to be okay? Yeah. They just weren't sure. Uh Mm-hmm. They wanted me to get a repeat ultrasound, but until that happened, they wanted me to be back on my meds. Mm -hmm. So then I was freaking out because I had drank that weekend Yeah, that like, well, great. Now it probably would have been okay, but now I've ruined it. No, but I hadn't. The the, the local doctors assured me like, this can just happen. It's been a week and it grew by like, what would have been the equivalent of like a day. Yeah. But I guess also like, I mean, when fetuses are like so tiny even measuring, like you could have two ultrasounds measure back to back and it could be different mm-hmm. because it's such a tiny thing they're measuring. So at that point, because my body hadn't kicked in, we opted to go the woot, the pill up the hoo-ha mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, route. <laughs> the, was it Way miso, up in there. Miso, whatever. Uh-huh. I don't even know what it's called, but we opted to do that because I was worried when you're on the wrong side of statistics, you're just waiting for every bad thing to happen to you. Yeah. And because I'd already had two DNCs, I was like, I don't want to have another DNC because I now know what Asherman syndrome is. And I don't want scarring because I know that's just an added hurdle to get through. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to avoid that. So we did the pill. It was terrible. Yeah. That was not at all a fun experience. We like planned a day and couldn't be home. She had to go to work. So my mom and my sister stayed home with me and like watched movies and sat on the couch as I like ran back and forth to the bathroom. Oh God. Yeah. 
So I did that and then I came in and that was across July 4th weekend. Uh-huh. So now I think I'll always remember that like July 4th. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I went back in and they did an ultrasound and while I had been pa- passing like clots and stuff, it wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. So I did a second round of the pill and I, it just really didn't do anything. Like at that point I wasn't bleeding at all. So it ended up, I had to do another DNC. Oh God. Which it was like. You've been through so much, Jess. (laughs) Yeah. My, my poor like OBGYN, she felt so bad because she was like, I know you wanted to avoid this. And now we've put you through all the things just to have to do this anyways. Yeah. And after she did my DNC, she was like, it was a tiny piece. Like it was just this little clot that just wouldn't pass. Uh huh. And so she just like, it was really quick. She just went in there, scooped it out and it was fine. But she was like, this happens where it's just this tiny little bit of tissue that won't come out on its own. Yeah. So we did that. And then from there, so my local OBGYN has, so my OBGYN office doesn't do like assistive reproductive stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why they don't. Um, so they don't do like Clomid or Letrozole, but she does have a lot of patients that have seen reproductive immunologists. Mm-hmm. So she had kind of suggested that my clinic had suggested that option. And my OBGYN also agreed to do a, lapar- a laparoscopy. Mm-hmm. Cause at this point she was like, you've been through so much. You've done a lot of testing. We had kind of tossed around the idea of endometriosis. Uh-huh. I don't have a lot of the typical signs, but I, because my period has changed so much over the years. Right but she was totally open to it. She was like, I think we should do it mm-hmm. because she was like, there's, there's only so much you can do. And this is one thing you haven't done. Mm-hmm. So we did that. I, she found stage one endometriosis and my ovaries were stuck to the back of my uterus. Oh my God. Yeah. Which she said she would have, that's typically something you see with like a higher stage of endo, uh-huh. but she unstuck them. Uh-huh. I'm sure. That's the medical term. Right. Yes, exactly. Um, she cleared all the endo. She did like an hysteroscopy while she was there. She looked at everything. Um, one of my tubes was blocked. So she went ahead and cleared that. Okay. You know, just in case we ever want to do an IUI is what she said. Sure, sure. <laughs> she's like, in case you ever want to take a step backwards. Yeah, while you're in there, might as well right? get it yeah, all Yeah, she's like, I'm in here, up. so I'll do it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she did that. And I was in tears going into surgery because I was just like, what if you don't find anything? Mm-hmm. So when she called Anne to say like, this is what we found, she said, do you think this is enough? Do you think Jess is going to think it was worth it? Like she was so worried it like wasn't enough. Yes. But it was, it was enough for me. So we did that. And we did this all while waiting to see an RI because Uh I was on like a four month wait list. Uh So December of last year, I finally went to Chicago Uh because I just really like having a doctor, like different doctors in different states. Yeah. You're like, I'm just trying to tour the country. Like I was going to say bi-coastal, but not really, but you're just a traveling woman, you know, trying them all out. Yeah. So, um, we are seeing Dr. Quackham in Chicago and her office has been great. I went in, they did like this whole workup. They took like all of my blood and they did like a, all these different ultrasounds. Mm Mm-hmm. And they found I have like restricted blood flow to my uterus, Okay, which is another thing that I kept telling Anne, I bet I have this. Like it was just a gut feeling. I have yeah. no clue how I would ever prove that, uh-huh. but they've confirmed it. Wow. Um, and they thought I might have Hashimoto based off like what my thyroid looked like, uh-huh. but my labs have been like, my thyroid labs are fine. So we're kind of still in this like testing and waiting stage. Okay. Um, before we move forward with another transfer, I'm a little nervous because my clinic does like an immune protocol kind of for everyone. Uh So a lot of the things that people would add at this point, I've already done, like I've already done intralipids. I've done prednisone. I've done Lovenox. Right. I've done the baby aspirin. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm curious to see how my reproductive immunologist will like change the dosage on those things to hopefully help. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where we are today. Right. Okay. So it's, it's like early 2022 and you're still kind of in, in limbo. Like we're not sure how the story is going to end. Right. Yeah. I'm hoping in the next three months we'll be gearing up for an FET. Okay. So hopefully this I'm spring hopeful. you'll be doing yeah. FET number two. Yep. 
And how, how are you getting by these days and how are you feeling like mentally and how are you and Anne doing together? Anne and I are doing great. Good. That we'll start with like the highs. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Highest to lowest. Yeah. We are kind of trying to plan out a trip. Sorry, anniversary is in November Mm -hmm. for a trip in November because I have learned that you should just plan the trips and reschedule if you need to. But good advice. Yes. But waiting around is not good for the mental health. Yes. If you have any like advice for somebody who's listening who might be, you know, in the thick of it, what would you say or what do you wish you would have known when you guys first started to try? I think find support. Mm -hmm. I wish I had found fertility rally sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, I think April is like my one year. Yay. I think I, I think I joined right before we got into like our FET or right after our first FET was canceled. Uh huh. So I would say find support however you need it, whether it's online or friends or family. I would also say plan the trips, do the things like live your life as much as you can outside of infertility and treatment. Uh huh. Because before you know it, years have passed. And if you just never do the things, it's just years that you're sitting. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much to Jess. I love you, girl. Rooting for you always. So we will continue to follow Jess's story. And another reminder that if you guys want to check out Fertility Rally Live, it is on April 23rd. You don't have to come live. It is virtual, but you don't have to come live. You can watch all the talks and listen to all the stuff for 30 days afterwards. So we've compiled this amazing list of experts and influencers and just really incredibly empowering, wonderful people talking about all sorts of things. So you don't want to miss this event. If you do come live, you will definitely get some sort of giveaway. Everybody gets walks away with something. And then we have a happy hour at the end of the day. So check out our Instagram at Fertility Rally. For more info, you can check out my Instagram at Infertile AF Stories for ticket links as well. See you then.